Hi, I'm Simon Bez. Welcome to this week's Net Hero podcast. I'll be talking digital, all things digital a, a little later, because as I said in the beginning of the podcast, you'll hear I am slightly a renaissance man, so uh, more analogue than digital, but we'll get into that. Uh, what I want to talk about is whether you took part this week in the demand flexibility scheme. I didn't, because uh, uh, I've got a, a little kitty at home and desperate need for warm energy when he comes back from school but loads of people did apparently a million people so far have signed up uh, businesses and householders 26 suppliers are doing it the question is though is this really the way to go uh, the returns there the grid says some people can earn as much as 20 pound an hour but for most the savings are fairly paltry a few pence but it all adds up the main reason to doing it obviously is to stop the fact that the grid is under pressure this winter. The cold snaps we're having, the lack of renewable power that we've got when the wind doesn't blow, means that coal power plants are on standby. So what the grid's trying to do is not fire them up, but uh, get us to cut back. I think it's a good idea, definitely, but I just think it's got to be done in a way that is equitable because at present it seems that only kind of nice middle-class people who've got lots of money and think this is uh, very jolly uh, can afford to do it. If you're a struggling single mum in the back end of Dagenham, you need your heating on. So let's get on with trying to make sure things are more efficient. Uh, demand reduction, yes, it is a good concept to get us to net zero. But as I say, I think we need to do far more to make sure that there's much more in terms of energy efficiency across the board so that we don't get to this stage where it's it's a great thing for some who can afford to, but for those who aren't, they, they, are, they suffer for it. A couple of other stories in, in terms of talking about fossil fuels. Um, we're trying to do all this to prevent us firing up coal power stations, which are on sort of standby. But in Bangladesh, because they don't have a proper uh, investment in the renewable system, it looks like they'll be turning back to coal. Uh, there's a report saying that there should be possibly an increase of about 12% in their use of coal over the next few years because of the inability of the renewable structure there to support uh, the growth that's needed. And this is a similar problem that happened in Pakistan this week where the grid failed because of a frequency problem. And when we look at net zero, we always think, and we do, obviously, about ourselves, but you've got to think wider across the globe. And what's happening in Bangladesh, this having to return to coal, is indicative of the lack of money and investment that, that has happened in developing nations. And COP26, COP27, all the talk about kind of balancing up, unless we see that, these things will continue to cause problems. And the other story that caught my eye this week is about industry and our steel industry in particular. We have to decarbonise the steel industry and the government is getting behind that with £600 million in grants to Tata and British Steel. This is an important story because we need infrastructure, we need to build our way to more renewables, we need to build our way to, to more uh, sustainable energy and we need steel, we need steel for everything. And that industry is one of the hardest to decarbonise. So if we can move away from burning fossil fuels to make our steel, then we could have a steel industry that uses perhaps hydrogen or other forms uh, for incineration, which would make us much more competitive. So that's a good one. And the final story I think you should uh, check out is uh, a net zero school. 
Correct. A primary school in Somerset, due to open in uh, a couple of years, uh, plans to be the first ever net zero school in this country. Uh, they're looking at investing about 11 million in making it completely net zero with things like uh, rainwater harvesting, LED panels, EV charging. So uh, I think that's a, a great idea. Uh, obviously, it needs a bit of money, but uh, it could be one of those things that sets a precedent. Now, on to this week's podcast, which is with Dr. David Pugh from Digital Catapult. We talk about whether digitizing or digitalization is actually the new frontier in net zero. Now, I am pretty much an analog kind of guy. The world has got digital and it happens in my lifetime. So I remember computers coming into school in the 80s and everyone thought, what the hell is this? The Commodore 64, the BBC B it was called, I think it was, I can't remember anyway. And of course, digital life is now our life. Everything is digital. I'm talking to you now on a podcast, which is recorded on a computer, and you're probably listening to it on a digital device. We use maps, we use phones that have cameras. We have everything that we can want in terms of commerce digitally. And many people say that to get to net zero, one of the big things we need to do is a digital transformation. So not just kind of us building things like wind farms and trying to have EVs and things like, but to change the way things work digitally. But can that happen? Can clean tech uh, become the way of doing things without building lots of infrastructure, which costs us loads, but actually getting smarter? Well, that's the thing I'm going to discuss today with David Pugh who's a sustainability expert at Digital Catapult. David, hello. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, nice. So what, what is Digital Catapult, first of all? So Digital Catapult is an organisation that um, exists to accelerate the adoption of digital technologies in the UK. So we're partly backed, by, partly funded and backed by the UK government, partly funded by industry. And our role is to work with industries across the UK to adopt digital, digital technology, um, as well as to help the UK's digital ecosystem. So these are you know early stage technology companies that are starting out on their journeys, help them to grow, help them to find the right customers, help them to build um, devices that industry is looking for and industry wants and to help these products get, get into market and truly make impact. Um, you're a young man, and I, I, I joked with you earlier before we went on air that even the scientists are getting younger. So you've grown up in the digital world, David, for, but, but for people like me who are in our 50s, we've seen this transition. Where do you see the way, let's just talk about the UK first rather than globally, but the way digitization is going? Because many say there is still a digital divide. And, you know, there are parts of the country where we can't even get really good internet. So when we talk about this and what you're doing at Digital Catapult, is it, dare I say, great for some of us, but not for all of us? That's a really, really good question. And it's it, it really shows the diversity of the work that we do and that some days we'll be working on building virtual reality simulators for companies to yeah. uh, you know, build chemical factories. And in other days, we are working with manufacturers who... Who, have, who started using Excel five years ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah. So there's a very broad spectrum of what can be done with digital, but more importantly, where companies and where people are 
today with access to the right communications technologies, the right digital systems in place. And lots of companies were really burned by ERP integrations, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And so have almost shied away from technology. Like, well, that didn't go well. This, you know, whatever comes next is going to be equally difficult. And but- that's the thing, isn't there's still a lot of, if we look at the net zero world, right? Yeah, I suppose COVID, which was awful, you know, and thank God it's pretty much over now, but even though people still get it, but it it created something which a lot of people said was exactly illustrative of this. You know, if you were a guy digging the roads for a power company, you went to work, yeah? Mm-hmm. If you were uh, put loading up the food in Sainsbury's or Amazon, you went to work. But a lot of us, we work from home because we just put on our little computers and slapped away and away we were and we were safe. How do we, as we transition to to net zero, how do we ensure that we, you know, there will be some casualties in terms of kind of more analog jobs and more analog industries. So as as your role as, you know, a part government funded body, where, where do you see all this of how we try and make sure that we're not leaving people behind as we move forward? So what we want is a just transition. Um, and people often talk about this with, with AI and say that AI will you know, take people's jobs. And yeah. we're not talking yeah. about removing people from society. We're talking about utilizing their time better. And so often using digital technology is to take away parts of your job that, that are quite mundane, that you wouldn't want to be doing. And that allows you as, a, as someone who is active in, in the economy, whether that's in an office, whether that's in a factory, whether that's um, at the side of a railway track, using your time more efficiently for the things that you want to be doing and the, th- the things that create value in your job. And so we, have to, we always talk about how, what's the best use of people's time and how do we yeah. use technology yeah. to remove those bits that are either unsafe or, or are, are not value-add activities. I suppose this is kind of really, look at, you know, a, a production line, yeah? Mm-hmm. You know, 50, 60 years ago, there were 100 people on it, 200 people on it. Now there's a few robots and, maybe sort of five people running. I, I suppose this is the, the progress, the nature of technology, isn't it? Absolutely. And as those people, as um, people always talk about the jobs that come with yeah. adding people on, people that are operating robots, but equally people that are managing the factory. If you have a robotic factory system, you're producing more material. So the logistics needs more people to, to be working at either end of the production line, the packaging, there's, there's getting, getting things into the right vans at the right time. There's There's a lot more communication that goes on still within the factory, just maybe just not directly on the on the production line. So as as technology makes us more efficient, how do we make sure that the, the human machine interfaces are able to, to keep up as well? And that still requires people. Where are we as a country? We kind of think that, you know, the tech world is, you know, US, China, India, places like that. How, how is the UK in, in this kind of world of technology are we, are we all right what would you say our scorecard would be we're doing pretty well to be honest so the digital futures index ranked the uk incredibly highly um highest in europe um, behind, behind the us and and china in terms of innovation in terms of wow. digital technologies that are being created and you know, second in the world for ai second in the world for blockchain so there are there is a huge amount of innovators in the uk that are really creating these products now the challenge that we have as a country is keeping those companies in the uk and making sure there are customers for these companies Mm. these these great technology advances in the uk and that's where a lot of our work around helping helping industry to understand the value of these technologies and helping industry to 
to get themselves into a position to actually work with these startups um, and allow those startups to grow and employ more people in the UK to, to feel that benefit in the UK. So as a, as a digital economy, the UK is, is fantastic. It's a huge amount of venture capital funding, huge amount of private investment going into UK tech companies today. And what we want to do is make sure that that, that, that value stays in the UK, but also it's utilized for all the right reasons, things like um, addressing sustainability issues. I'm very surprised at that. I mean, because we get the image that, 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 you know, we're way behind. You know, people talk about our skills. We don't have enough young engineers. We don't have enough kids going through learning maths and, and, and stuff. But but what you're saying, it seems to say, goes against the kind of media portrayal of us being slightly backwards when it comes to digital. I think from a digital perspective, we're incredibly humble compared to, compared <laughs> to Silicon Valley. That's about the only thing we're humble about, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But you go to Silicon Valley and everyone's talking about their startup yes. and how their startup yeah, changed yeah. the world. Yeah. And and I think in the UK we kind of just get on with it. Um yeah. You in America's like, hey guys, we've done this, we're gonna become a unicorn of all this. And we're like, uh, okay, we made this thing, I'm not too sure what will happen to it. <laughs> yeah, it might be good for you, I hope. <laughs> so when we look at sustainability, which is what this is about, and we look at kind of you know getting to net zero. What's the aim of of digital catapult? How how are you going to help us transition to net zero? What's what what do you what have you got in terms of kind of things that you could show businesses today? Because it's very complicated the whole net zero pathway, and people can talk about do we cut in terms of energy use? Do we improve our logistics, our transport? You know, generation, uh, power demand. So if you were to take me, you know, we're sitting in the pub. Let's pick around day. What what has Digital Catapult ever done for me, or what is it going to do for me? What would you say? So our ambition really is to is to path a twin transition for for organisations in the UK. So that's a transition to a digital economy, right? Tied with a transition to a green economy, and um, you, you can go out there. The, the European Commission has done hundreds of reports on this, and say for companies to be really success, successful over the next twenty years. It's going to be the companies that can make this twin transition to digital and sustainable economies that are going to do that. And because the reason this this transition works really well is that we use digital technologies to become more optimized, to be more resilient, to be more transparent, to share data more effectively. And these are all the things that we need to be doing to become more sustainable. And you mentioned that sustainability is such a huge area yeah. that... If you took 100 people and said, get to net zero, you could they could pass 100 different ways. So at the Digital Catapult, we organize our, the work we do into kind of three application areas. So one of these is virtualization and cyber physical systems. And that's looking at what does the future look like with things like the metaverse and digital twins. Now, digital twins is something that's spoken about a lot. There's lots of hype around a digital twin and a digital twin one day might be able to be an exact copy of of what's going on in your factory all the time, every you know, every tightening of a screw is recorded on a computer and you can see what's going on. Now that's a great idea, but that's still decades away. What digital twins are really good for today are things like scenario planning, um, things like uh, predicting what's gonna happen if um, we're based on energy availability. Um, and so digital twins today are really fantastic for things like life cycle assessments, really right. good for looking at how to make energy efficiency gains and resource efficiency gains so give and, me give me give me an example for the listeners so they'd understand what a digital twin is so um what you, you take a, a shop or a factory or what, what what could you use it as can you can you give us something that you think people will understand 
So if you imagine you've got a factory floor and you've got lots of equipment on that factory floor, right. all, generating, all generating data. Okay. Now, by combining that data together, you can create a a simulation of the shop floor. And ah, based on yeah, historical yeah. data, if you can if you can record that data for long enough, you can actually start to go. Well, if I change if I change this parameter, what will happen further down the production line, or what will happen to the temperature, or what will happen to the amount of energy I need? And so you can quite effectively model what um, what what will happen to different pieces of equipment when they might um, go out of life. What you can do to kind of extend the lifetime of your assets and extend the um, the facility and optimize it to its the best um, so it's working as efficiently as possible. So an example I've heard of is people talk about kind of if they're going to build a new airport terminal, they they make a, a digital tweet of it and they go, "There's you know two hundred planes and fifty thousand people coming through, and what would happen if the baggage all failed?" And is so in a way it, it, to make it very simple because I'm pretty thick as I said, is it like a simulation that you can change things factors in yeah as you gather more and more data about how people move around the airport how planes come in how planes come out why yeah. they might be delayed you can make that more and more intelligent and um use that to predict okay well if this plane is late what does that mean for the other planes there what does that mean for the shops what does that mean for the restaurants and okay so i can see where this works in the sustainability because you go right if the plane's circling more it'll burn more fuel or if we've got this problem you'll have more people and there'll be more kind of need for for pull on resources so is that how you see this kind of technology working to to help you know supply chains and businesses to work out the carbon that's in them we can treat emissions as one of the parameters we're trying to optimize for so if we're saying a, a plane's coming late we want to minimize the excess emissions that will come out of this plane being yeah. delayed we, can, we might be able to use different sources of energy we might be able to line planes up slightly differently we might be able to um move people in different ways so they can be on their planes in a way quicker. Uh, but using that for an energy efficiency gain and a resource efficiency gain is incredibly valuable. And probably the first start of any 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 industrial company's um, net zero journey is all around energy efficiency and resource efficiency because there's a clear, not just emissions benefit, but there's a clear financial ROI from using less energy or using less resource. This all sounds great, David. Now, I get it. I understand it. But it sounds like it's great for certain people, right? So if you've got an old school kind of, I don't know, uh, factory making drill bits or a sandwich uh, factory where, where they're making sandwiches or even, you know, a farmer who's digging up potatoes and then getting them picked on a conveyor belt. How can all this stuff help that? High tech, yes. There's equipment. They're, they're all sending data. I get it. Where where would it be for these more kind of you know slightly less technological industries? Absolutely. And so there's something that we've developed at the Digital Castbolt um, for exactly this for SMEs that are not fully connected, hyper connected factories. And the first challenge really is understanding what your emissions are today. Yes. Um, understanding what what your energy usage and actually going with if, if if we can get a benchmark, we can work on on addressing that. So we've developed something called the Ecometer, which is a, a low cost me meetup or meter. The Ecometer. Ecometer. Right. Yes. Tell me about the Ecometer. Um, so it's a it's a tool that that's a software tool with some small sensors that will clip onto the side of machines that monitors energy usage um, and interacts with a production schedule. Right. Um, and so it's able to give you kind of a job by job emissions, job by job emissions data. Um, and equally, if you're making the same product with slightly different ingredients or slightly different materials, tell you what what are the different emissions 
create by changing your production processes slightly. So help companies understand where they are today and what they could change going forward. Because it, 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 this exists, can people get it? How, how do they get it? Yeah, yeah, they can get in touch with us. We've, we've, we've been developing this project for a couple of years with different manufacturing organizations to really understand what are the key pieces of information people want to know. So things like, is it the energy usage of the production machine? Is it the the um, filtration systems? Is it the um, air conditioning and the ventilation systems? And how, do we, how can we get that data in a, in a way that is easily understandable for manufacturers that gives you a, a clear, this production method or this this job was more sustainable than that job. He, here's some of the reasons why that might be. And here's yeah. some advice on where to, where to go next. That sounds amazing. So what's it called again? It's called the Ecometer. The Ecometer. All yours what, now, listeners. Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> what about the circular economy? Because this is the other thing about people talking about, you know, if you look at where, where things are going, you know, why is it that I'm sitting here on my laptop which is, yes, it's pretty old, actually, for most people here. It's six years old, and it's starting to go. And I'm thinking, well, actually, it's still quite good, but it soon won't be supported. And all of these things happen. And people talk about kind of, our, you know, our phones and, you know, uh, when an air conditioning stop unit stops working, we just chuck it on the heap. How can your sort of, you know, digital kind of planning, the digitization help with things like the circular economy? The, the reason the circular economy is a great idea is because most of the environmental impact of a product is made at the very beginning when you're extracting materials from the ground and at the very end when that product is going into a bin somewhere. Yes. And so yeah. Through circular, we're trying to keep those, those those three steps that kind of production, manufacturing, use going. So that might be asset life extension, intensification of our assets, repairing, remanufacturing. Um, and so if you're looking to keep um, an asset in use longer, um, it's important to know about what it's doing, what it's doing well, and understand when it might break. And that's where digital technologies come in, um, understanding um, and developing kind of predictive maintenance tools that mean that you can fix an asset before it goes wrong. Um, you see this a lot in, in aerospace where, um, if you think about Rolls-Royce uh, manufacture aircraft engines, yeah, those engines, yeah. when they're in, in, in the air, they're, they're sending data back to Rolls-Royce all day, every day, so that Rolls-Royce can go, okay, well, that engine, has got maybe 12,000 miles left. As soon as it lands, let's get in there, let's fix it. Yeah, so I saw Docker about it. It's really interesting. Yeah, they basically talk, don't they? Constantly. Absolutely. Tell, so they're, they're sending the information back and sharing that data to keep themselves in the air longer. Where would it work for a very kind of rural economy? So, you know, a farm or something like that. You know, you can't, you know, hey, mate, how many, what's the temperature? Of the, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it does tell you temperature of the soil and these plants are going to grow now and the, you can harvest here. I, I, I'm not sure. So you absolutely can. So Connected Farms is a huge area of growth at the minute. And for you know a few a small number of thousand pounds, you can buy kits that will tell you, um, give you soil information. You can go put sensors into the ground. They can um, look at your, your feed bins to, to tell you how much um, food is being consumed by, by the livestock. There's a whole host of Connected Farm use cases and areas where where farmers are really gaining a commercial advantage because they're able to look at this data and access this information and make their decisions based on based on data. And that's, that's really so, so the idea of like we're not overproducing and because because a lot of the you know people have heard this thing and we saw it during COVID just in time you know mm. the just in time supply chain which is always like we just got enough to get you there and then something happens and it all goes kaput and we're all deep in trouble. But also there's the huge issue of food waste, which again, we saw sadly in COVID, people just batch buying and then just getting nuts. 
how can all of this stuff do you think this sort of stuff can can help us to be you know just use exactly what we need when we need it a really good example. So what we're trying to build into supply chains is supply chain resilience. So as you said, if something goes wrong, having ready to get options for what might happen and, and being able to make that decision as early as possible based on data that's coming through. And that might be weather data. It might be data from, from logistics. It might be there's a, there is a, a traffic jam on the M6, therefore go a different way and it'll keep your, and you'll reach there three hours earlier. But be, using data to be able to make those decisions as early as possible, should you have to go an alternate route either literally, literally literally, or figuratively. Um, in terms of food waste, there's a lot of really good examples already on the market. Um, if you live in London, there's an app, an app called Too Good To Go, where companies that are uh, restaurants and cafes that have got extra, that, that are getting to you know seven o'clock, they're about to close their cafes, they've got extra food, they can advertise, we've got excess food that we don't want to throw away. Bring, you know, bring a pot and two pounds and you can have this excess waste. So, Again, it's about getting the right data to the right people at the right time to be able to prevent waste um, as well as being That's incredible, isn't it, really, that there's all this stuff there. So that leads me to the next point, which is um, we are more and more reliable, right? And it's quite funny because, as I say, being being a, of, of a now an officially middle-aged man, I can still drive places without any sat-nav because I know them because it's in my head. But my younger members of my team, if their phone goes down, they literally don't know because they haven't got a clue. So what do we do if our digital systems go down in this so interconnected world, David, or they get hacked, which is obviously what's been going on lately? Um, that's, the, that's the criticism a lot of people say about this, which is, it sounds all great, but you're gonna digitize our way to a point where we're in such reliance on these things, that there isn't any kind of, you know, analog way of recovering anything or doing anything. That's a, re a really good point. And it, it, it's part of the work that we do at Digital Catapult. So obviously the exciting bits are that we're, we're reducing food waste and reducing yeah. emissions and we're finding circular economies to work. But there is the, the less sexy side that's behind it, which is, you know, how do we make sure the data gets to the right place? How do we make sure that it's stored in... Um, the right locations it's not hackable the yeah, security, security updates are going on, yeah. and on and on so there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes um, and this is for both adopters of technology so if you're a farmer that's looking to use this technology or a developer who's looking to develop a product understanding the security implementations and the risks are incredibly important um, because you're right bringing in more points of points of, um, mm. of weakness is only going to make you more vulnerable but it's understanding do those vulnerabilities outweigh the um the benefits you gain and when you hear about hacking often it's someone's written their password down on a piece of paper and someone else has seen a bit of paper and therefore gone in so it's not most hacking incidents are not computational failures they're human failures and now obviously there still needs to be work done to ensure that people are able to remember their passwords etc and have different ways of authenticating but it's it's something that needs to be put into the design of the technology um and is definitely not a reason not to do these things there's there's lots of different methods there there's lots of different um protocols that are constantly being updated as well so it's not a case of we've put put our sensors in and we don't need to worry anymore yeah we look when we, in work that we do we're looking at kind of quarterly security updates addressing any any potential risks that are found making sure that at any point of time in time yeah. especially where you've got critical infrastructure for your business or your personal life the security protocols that are in place are as good as they possibly can be to, to minimize the risk of anyone. So you, um, I assume, obviously, you're part of government funded, so I assume you're 
working with government in terms of things like keeping legislation, because that's the other thing, isn't it? The world is moving so fast digitally that our laws are nowhere near uh, up to speed. You know, in my world of, of, of media, you know, people still don't know what the jurisdiction is of things said on Twitter and stuff like that, because our laws are kind of, you know, defamation or copyright still not quite up to speed. So how do we, how do you, how do you make sure that this is all regulated? Because that's a vital thing. Yeah, you don't want people doing things the wrong way, making an advantage, taking the gain and all of these things. And also you've got to make sure that, you know, there is some sort of regulation so it's fair for everyone. So with with your role there and what you're doing, do you sit and work with, you know, lawmakers and you look at what where, where we'll have to go? Yeah, absolutely. So what we do is we bring groups together. So right. um, we've been working on the implementation of blockchain technologies with a whole host of different industries. Um, so blockchain technology is a, a, you may have heard of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is very much a cryptocurrency, uh, but using the same technology, you can get better share, sharing of information that's not related to, to the financial institutions, but more um, things like what are the car sharing carbon emissions across the supply chain? Um, and so it's really important that we have the government authorities in the room with us, with industry, thinking about how could blockchain be, especially for regulated industries. So think we've, worked, yeah. we've done some work with the pharmaceutical sector about how do we share um, information around producing pharmaceutical products. And we've had MHRA in the room with us to think, OK, well, this is the data that we currently get from our, our quality control labs and and this is how we would be comfortable receiving it in a different way. And here are our red lines. So we're making sure that industry and government are moving together in the same direction. And that Yeah. And that's always people say the science is always ahead of the, the laws. And that's that's the danger in this as well. Absolutely. And we want to make sure that we educate government, we educate policymakers in tandem with educating industry so that so that no one's out of step and that actually we are using the technology for this kind of collective and creative good. Two last things I really want to talk about. So I'm a, a business listener to this podcast. I think look, that sounds quite good. You've got something called the Future Scope Program, right? Mm -hmm. Can you explain about what that is and and who is it for? So Future Scope is our our acceleration program. So this is how we help early stage technology companies to to develop their products, to gain business insights, to to understand what the markets they they're looking to work with um, are looking for, and to develop products that really address a market. So this is aimed at founders and leaders in early stage technology companies um, across a whole host of different industries. We have uh, rolling applications to our FutureScope program. Um, now, it, this is targeted at people from early stage, you know, two people in a, in a startup to up all the way up to scale ups looking at Series A funding. Um, and we've got various support mechanisms in place to support those companies, wherever they are in their journey and whatever support they are looking for at that time. And it's been a really successful program. We've worked with a whole host of different industries, as well as UK government and international governments on identifying what are what is what does the next 10 years look like for technology? Who are the real game changers and how are they addressing industry challenges and equally yeah. we're supporting um the technology companies with with kind of business support business insights um supporting them on on things like how do you make sure that your board is diverse and it's sustainable and it's got key you know equality diversity sustainability thinking as part of it which often for a company that's that's a year old and is three people they haven't even thought about those things yet so it's no, starting true. to have those conversations and making sure they're moving in the right the right direction my last point really is, this is all sounds great, but we had a uh, report um, about the, the, the carbon footprint 
of the computer world, IT. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's predicted, I think, by 2030 that the IT footprint of the world will be twice the, uh, the, the carbon footprint of the US. Right. So these things, all the things you're talking about, they all need energy. All these computers, people have heard of this Bitcoin mining and all of that and stuff that goes on. But, you know, my computer right now, yours, it's burning fuel somewhere, whether that's hopefully green energy or whether it's, you know, probably more, more likely across the planet, oil and gas or coal even. So as we do this digitizing, how do you make sure that you, you know, you're making sure that your industry itself, this digital industry is keeping its footprint down. You're absolutely right. And it's it's all well and good for me to evangelize about how digital technology can solve um, climate issues, but we need to get our own house in order as well. And as you say, the digital technologies today are about um, equivalent in terms of emissions to, to the aviation industry. And there's lots of talk about how flying is not good for the environment, but no one talks about how using Instagram is not. Um, and so... There's a couple of different initiatives that are going on today. We are looking at how do we make data architectures more sustainable? How do we look at end-to-end -end networks? Because um, it's all well and good that we talk about how great 5G is going to be, but if more and more data goes over in the network, more data is processed, that, that absolutely does have an impact. What I will say is, though, that a lot of the, the large tech companies are real leaders in this space. So Google have committed to having all of their data centers globally powered by renewable energy 100% of the time, which is fantastic. And they're making huge strides there and other yeah. other, yeah. other industries really need to follow that. Microsoft are one of the first companies to start pricing in carbon. So when Microsoft do a project, um, they'll have their you know costs for people, costs for materials, but they also have costs to the environment. And so project managers really need to, need to consider how to minimize the, um, the environmental impacts that they're producing there. And so we are seeing... A lot of kind of forward thinking from that sector, but as as more and more information is passed digitally, it's something that we need to keep focused on. We, we do have an, an ethics framework within Digital Catapult that's looking to address these pieces, and we're doing a lot of work on how do we minimize um, or minimize the impact, but also extend the life of things like hardware to reduce e-waste. How do we look at um, devices that work without batteries because battery recycling is a hugely difficult um piece as well so all of these things do need to to go but the big the biggest challenge at the minute is data center usage and there isn't work going in the right direction that isn't greenwashing that's actually we're going to be using a whole host of different and clean forms of energy to power these but i would advise anyone that's looking at this to to yeah. just ask a question to your infrastructure provider say well, okay my data is stored on your facility how is that exactly powered? exactly um, and I think this is the thing, isn't it? You know, to conclude with, we're in a new world, you know, definitely a world that didn't exist, you know, when I was a kid 40 years ago, but the kids of today, they just grow up digitally, right? It is, you know, they, they flick an iPad before they walk. So in a way, this is the future, but my, not to be kind of down on it, but I always fear that these things have the real ability to to leave, as we said at the beginning, a lot of people behind them when, you know, half the world is still, you know, living on less than sort of two pounds, one pound and two dollars a day. You, you've got to think, well, is this really just for us in, you know, developing nations and, and where it's all great, where tech is fine? And what does it do for the people in sub-Saharan Africa or, 
you know, the, the jungles of Venezuela or things like that. And, you know, that's a very big philosophical question, not one for you, but I suppose all of us around the world, the leaders, and the, particularly the tech companies who have so much power, you've got to think about this, haven't you? The intensity to how much technology are we using? Is that the right technology? But also, what what are we using that technology for? If we, we yes. you know, you can align digital to all of the UN SDGs. So, as people are developing new technologies, they need to make sure that they are using it for the right reasons. And right that, things, yeah. hopefully, yeah, is to address things like income equality. It is to address clean water issues. It is to address right. yeah. um, farming and agriculture. It's how we use that technology because the technology is not itself a thing that doesn't have an opinion. It's all yeah, right. yeah that's true. Yeah, us, exactly. So you know, the product. internet isn't good or bad. It's about the people who are using it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, David, it's been brilliant. Listen, um, for people who are thinking about sort of using your tool, uh, how do they get hold of it? What do they do? So you can log on to our website, oh, yeah. digicatapult.org.uk. Um, you can get in touch with me. I'm on Twitter at Dave Tweets Tech. Brilliant, David Pugh. Thanks so much for joining us on the Hero Podcast. You've uh, enlightened this old analog dinosaur. So he's going to plug in now. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Yep. Good chat there with David. And I do think, you know, that's another part of it, you know, the digital way. But as we said in that podcast, you got to make sure there isn't a digital divide. Uh, my thanks to Chris for putting the podcast together this week. We've got plenty more coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, and I'd really urge you to check out futurenetzero.com for all the stuff around what we're doing in Net Zero. A date for your diary, 20th of June. Put it in. I know it seems like miles away to see the sunny su sunshine of June, but here we are in freezing January. Put that date in your diary. It'll be the Big Zero show again back in, in Coventry, but bigger and better. And we've got plenty to tell you about it it's with some special guests. Uh, I can't reveal them right now, but we've got a cracker lined up for you this year. So June the 20th, if you're in the energy and business sector looking towards net zero, put that date in your diary. Please subscribe. If you've got someone who you think should be featured on the Net Hero podcast, then drop me a line. Until next time, see you later. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Summit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to Net Zero and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. futurenetzero.com. Better business, better planet.